Hi guys, and welcome to Time Traveling Team, the weekly podcast where we review every story of Doctor Who right from the very beginning. I'm Paddy. And I'm Trisha. Today we're going to be discussing a shorter story, the two-parter, The Rescue. We'll be talking about the characters and giving our thoughts on the story as a whole. We would also love to hear your thoughts on this story and other stories. So join in the conversation with us. You can check us out at Time Team on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. That's T-I-M-E-T-E-A-M-P. Or you can email us at timetravellingteamp at teamproductions.com. Now, on to the story recap. Episode 1. The Powerful Enemy. After a brief scene of the TARDIS landing at a nondescript location, we cut to the wreckage of a space shuttle. Its communication dish still seems to be operational, and a young girl enters the communications room when she hears it pick up a signal. She excitedly goes to speak into a microphone, but hurriedly puts it down and goes into another room calling for her friend Bennett. Bennett is lying on his bed, apparently sick and injured, and she tells him that the rescue ship is coming. Bennett tells her that she must be mistaken, as the rescue ship should take at least three more days to arrive. The girl, whose name is Vicky, is adamant that it is the rescue ship that has landed somewhere on a nearby mountain. Bennett tells her to radio the rescue ship, and she'll see that she is wrong. He also warns her to be careful of someone named Kukulian, who will kill them if he discovers a rescue is on the way. Vicky manages to contact the rescue ship, which confirms that it is still 69 hours away and she wonders who is on the mountain. In the TARDIS, Ian and Barbara are worried about the Doctor. He didn't wake up during the landing, and he seems to be a bit distracted, but together they take a look at the outside. All they can see is stone surfaces, but there is no indication as to whether they are on the ground or in the ground. The Doctor suggests opening the doors to get a better look, and calls for Susan before sadly remembering that she is no longer with them. Barbara distracts him by asking him to teach her how to operate the doors. They go outside, and they see that they are in a cave, and they all the detect an unusual smell. The doctor tells Ian and Barbara to go look around while he goes inside for a nap, leaving them both a bit stunned. They discuss his strange behaviour and chalk it up to old age. The doctor opens the door and tells them that he can hear everything they are saying and then asks for a nearby rock and then closes the door again when Ian hands it to him. Barbara says it's going to take him a small bit of time to get over Susan's departure. She points out a shaft of light from a nearby corridor and they go to investigate. After they leave, a strange spiked, insectoid-faced figure appears and starts to investigate the TARDIS. Ian and Barbara emerge from the corridor onto the ledge of a mountain and survey the valley below them. They spot the crash shuttle and Ian is able to make out the Union Jack flag emblazoned on its hull. They see that it is in the middle of a ruined village and Ian suggests that they get the doctor so they can see if there are any survivors. They turn to go back and are confronted by the alien, who demands to know if they are from Earth and where their ship is. They tell him that the TARDIS is their ship and that the Doctor is inside it. He instructs them to retrieve him, but when Barbara attempts to go past by, he blocks her and advances towards her. He slowly advances on her and forces her off the ledge, causing her to plummet to her apparent doom. He then uses an energy staff to cause a cave-in in the corridor, thereby trapping Ian and the Doctor inside. Inside the TARDIS, the Doctor finishes his analysis of the rock and determines that they have landed on the planet Dido, a planet he has fond memories of after he visited several years beforehand. He hears the cave-in and goes out to see if the others are alright. He finds a dazed Ian on the ground and together they start to search for Barbara but see the extent of the cave-in. Ian tells the Doctor about the alien they met and the Doctor is surprised at Ian's story as the inhabitants of Dido are peaceful. He wonders what could have occurred to make them change so much. In the shuttle, Vicky is frantically trying to hide something when she hears a figure approaching. The alien, who we now know to be Cochillian, enters and demands to know why he saw her outside the ship earlier. She said she was outside collecting rocks, but he does not believe her. She tells him that she heard the sound of the cave-in and wanted to investigate. He tells her that she cannot go any further than 50 feet outside the shuttle, 
otherwise she will be at risk from his people and proceeds to tell her that they were the ones who caused the cave-in because dangerous warlike travellers arrived. She says that they should have given the strangers a chance, but he brandishes his energy staff at her, telling her to obey him. He then makes his way towards Bennett's room. Once he is gone, she goes to her bed and pulls off the covers to reveal a safe and sound Barbara. Barbara asks about how Vicky ended up in her current situation. She tells Barbara that when they landed, the entire crew was invited to a welcome feast, but she couldn't attend as she was sick with a fever. She remembers waking up to the sound of an explosion before falling back into a fever sleep. Shortly afterwards, Bennett dragged himself back as he was no longer able to walk properly. She still has no idea why Cucullian's people attacked though, as Bennett never told her, nor has she never seen any of the other natives to try and find out for herself. She then tells Barbara about what Cucullian told her about what happened in the mountain. She then apologises and tends to Barbara's scrapes and bruises, while telling her about the approaching rescue ship. She notices a look of pity on Barbara's face and angrily tells her that she is capable of taking care of herself, with or without a rescue ship. They hear someone approaching and Barbara goes back into hiding. Bennett staggers into the room, saying Cucullian is gone, and Vicky reveals Barbara's presence to him, leaving him shocked. Back at the mountain, the Doctor and Ian are again discussing the strange change in the behaviour of the people of Dido. They slowly make their way through the mountain in the hopes of finding another way out. They are traversing a ledge when they hear growling from the chasm below them, and using Ian's lamp, they see it as some sort of native dog-like creature. They notice a couple of ring holes embedded in the walls and use them to cross onto a wider section of ledge. However, one of them comes loose and triggers a booby trap. Spikes start to emerge from the wall, pushing Ian back towards the rim of the ledge and the waiting beast below. Episode 2. Desperate Measures Ian uses his coat to grab onto one of the razor-sharp spikes and then swings himself back around onto the clear part of the ledge with the doctor. Together, they try to reset the trap so they can continue onwards. They see daylight up ahead and on their way towards the exit, they see a stone doorway. The doctor suggests that they bypass it as they need to get to Barbara urgently but he hopes that they will not be leaving themselves open for an ambush. After they have gone, Cucullian emerges from the doorway and observes them as they make their way towards the shuttle. In the shuttle, Ben has collapsed from the strain, but is nursed by Vicky and Barbara. Barbara suggests setting a trap for Cucullian, saying that they have the upper hand because he doesn't know that she survived. Ben is against the idea, however, and insists that they wait for the rescue ship instead. He asks them to help him back to his room, but insists on entering by himself, once again demanding that they do nothing against Cucullian. They set about preparing for the rescue ship, and Vicky goes to dispose of some refuse. Barbara watches her from her window, and sees the dog-like creature emerging from a nearby cave entrance. She takes a nearby flare gun and shoots it, killing it and in the process upsetting Vicky. Vicky tearfully explains that she had tamed the creature, naming him Sandy, and had trained him to, to come to the shuttle at various times for food. In the midst of this, the Doctor and Ian enter the shuttle. The Doctor does his best to comfort Vicky, but it is to no avail. Still distraught at the loss of Sandy, she tells him that they are interfering and making things worse than they were before. Ian and Barbara leave so the doctor can talk to her alone. She realises that she was speaking in anger and says that she didn't mean it. Vicky tells him that Bennett plans on requesting that the plant be obliterated when the rescue ship returns them to Earth, as a revenge for what had happened. The doctor convinces her that he can come up with an alternative and he would like to meet Bennett. She leads him to his room and he tells her to go back to the others. She seems reluctant to go and deal with Barbara, but the doctor tells her that Barbara was only acting on her protective instincts to save Vicky, and she is not a cruel person. He then tries to enter Bennett's room, but Bennett refuses to let him in and bars the door. Ian and Barbara come back in, and Vicky and Barbara forgive each other. She then tells them that her mother died back on Earth, and she was with her father on board the ship on their way to his new assignment. 
They reveal to her their origins with the Doctor, and when Vicky says that the current year is 2493, which makes them about 550 years old, a fact that Barbara seems to find amusingly offensive. She doesn't believe them and thinks that they are joking. Meanwhile, the Doctor uses a girder as a battering ram and breaks into Bennett's room. The room is empty and he finds a recording device with some of the phrases Bennett has been heard saying programmed into it. He also finds a microphone that is listening into where the others are. He also finds a trapdoor on the floor and proceeds to explore it and finds it leads him back to the stone doorway in the mountain. He goes inside and enters a temple of some sort. The others are a bit worried at the fact that the doctor has been gone for a long time. They go to search for him and see that the room is empty, not noticing the slightly open trapdoor. Ian suggests that they go back to the TARDIS as that is the most likely place to return to in case they get separated. In the temple, Kukulian enters quietly, but the doctor calls out and says that he has been waiting for him. He says that the temple was the Hall of Judgment, and it seems fitting that they are here, as it is illegal for the person in front of him to be wearing the ceremonial garb currently on him. The doctor reveals that he has seen through the ruse and knows that it is Bennett in the outfit. Bennett takes off the helmet, and the doctor demands to know why he created the charade. Bennett says that he accidentally killed a fellow crew member, but the ship crashed before the crime could be reported back to Earth. He decided to hide his guilt and rigged an explosive to go off during the feast thrown by the native population. He says that the bomb killed everyone in attendance, all of the crew and every one of the 100 inhabitants of the planet. He would blame the explosion on the people of Dido and request that the planet be destroyed to cover up any signs of his guilt. The doctor says that he is insane, but Bennett says that he cannot be stopped and intends to kill the doctor, Ian and Barbara. The doctor attempts to use the staff weapon to fend off Bennett, but the two men struggle with Bennett gaining the upper hand as he tries to strangle the doctor. Suddenly, two Diodians appear and advance on Bennett. He flees from them but falls into the chasm to his death. The Doctor passes out and wakes up in the TARDIS, with Ian and Barbara hovering over him. He tells them about his running with Bennett and that he was saved by two men, but Ian and Barbara says that he was alone outside the TARDIS when they found him. He asks up them about Vicky, saying that he wants to have a word with her. After he goes outside to her, Barbara voices her wish to Ian that they could take Vicky with them. The Doctor tells Vicky the truth and offers to take the newly orphaned girl to come with them. He goes back inside and tells Ian and Barbara his idea, to which they readily agree, and then calls out to Vicky to join them. She is astounded by her surroundings and agrees to come with them. Back in the shuttle, the two Diodians destroy the transmitter, cutting off the signal for the rescue ship and hiding their planet again. The TARDIS materialises on the edge of a cliff and before the Doctor can take off again, it plummets to the ground below. The end. So that's it for the story recap and we're now going to go over to the trivia corner with Trish. Over to you. Thank you, Patty. So, the writer for today's story is David Whitaker. We did mention last week that the Dalek Invasion of Earth was his last script as script editor. However, he has written several more stories. And we'll get to see six more of these down the line, which is great. The director was Christopher Barry. Again, this is not his first outing. He also directed several episodes of the Daleks. Nor is this his last outing. We'll have eight more to go, including next week's story, The Romans. Yay. The, <laughs> the air date for the story was the 2nd and 9th of January, 1965. The rescue was produced in the same six-episode recording block as The Romans, which, when you consider that uh, the Dalek invasion of Earth and Planet of the Giants were also done in one block, they actually had six weeks off between filming of those ones and these ones. Which is great. It was a nice break for the cast to have six weeks off. Oh, yeah. 
We don't have Susan in this story. Sadly, she left us last week. However, during production, Caroline Ford did visit the set to offer her encouragement to Maureen, who was playing Vicky, which I think is lovely. I think it's nice. I think I think it's like it's really professional. Yeah. Desperate Measures was the first episode of Doctor Who to make the UK's top 10 most watched programs list. And it wouldn't get there again until the 2005 reboot of the show. Christopher Barry originally wanted Bernard Archer for the role of Bennett slash Cochillian, but he wasn't available at the time. Archer would later appear in The Power of the Daleks and one of Paddy's favourite stories, The Pyramids of Mars. Absolutely. And I think that, given what went on, I think Bernard Archer would have been way too suspicious to have in the role of Bennett. Yeah, he has a naturally suspicious face. He does. Unfortunately, he does. Like Francis the Wolf from uh, Keys of Marinus. He just has that, yeah, you're a bad guy face. Yeah. Jacqueline Hill was actually injured when she shot Sandy. Um, the gun went off with a lot more force than was expected and she ended up hurting her face and she suffered from shock. Ooh. There were several possible names for Vicky, including Tanny, Valerie, Millie, and what I can only pre- Zoom was meant to be pronounced Lucky. It's L-U-K-K-I. All of which are horrible options. I'm sorry, but well, they Valerie are. isn't bad. Uh, like, okay, but it, it just seems strange. I, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, because like, you know I, it's because you know her as Vicky. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. Sorry to yeah. anyone named Valerie or Millie or Tanny or Lucky. <laughs> Vicky's last name is actually never revealed during her time on the show. She does not have a last name. I think in novels she does. I think her last yeah. name is Pallister, but not on the show. It's never said on, the, on show. the show. No. For anyone who does want to look Vicky up, she does spell out her name on the show. It's V-I-C-K-I rather than V-I-C-K-Y, which is also how the name Vicky is spelled. Coquillian was originally credited in the first episode as being played by Sidney Wilson, which is a combination of Sidney Newman... And Donald Wilson, who was the head of serials. And this was done to preserve the sort of like whodunit aspect of the show. Cool. This isn't the last time that they would use a moniker like this, but usually they use it for writers. They don't usually use it for um, characters on screen. It actually reminded me of, do you remember the end of Mary Poppins? When they revealed who played... Oh, I can't remember his name, but the, the old banker. The, the old, old banker. banker, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it revealed it was actually Dick Van Dyke. So this was kind of reminded me of that. So speaking of Coquillian, let's go on to our cast. So Bennett slash Coquillian was played by Ray Barrett. Ray's an Australian-born actor. Though this is his only Doctor Who credit, he has done loads of TV shows and films, including The Avengers, Thunderbirds, where he played John Tracy, the ever-present Zedkars, and Stingray. His final film role was in 2008 in the movie Australia, which, if you haven't seen it, is an amazing film. The only thing I know about Australia was Hugh Jackman's joke at the when he was hosting the Oscars. Like, he was talking about the range of people's acting abilities, whereas he said, like, you know, I'm an Australian playing an Australian in a movie called Australia, and I'm hosting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ray actually tried to play the character of Bennett as like completely straight-faced so as not to give anything away. Something which, like we said, maybe wouldn't have been possible if it had Bernard Archard 
been yeah. in the role, maybe. Ray sadly passed away back in 2009. So on to Vicky, we have our new companion. Vicky's played by Maureen O'Brien. She was born the 29th of June, 1943. And she attended the Central School for Speech and Drama in London. This is her first TV acting job after leaving school. And she would go on to play Vicky for nine stories. So we'll see her for a little while. That's a that's a pretty nice, sweet number to land yourself on right after her leaving acting school. Like It really is. Um, apparently, and this was mentioned by Maureen on the DVD, Sydney Newman told Maureen that they were considering having her cut her hair and dye it black. Mm. And she refused, saying, why don't you just get Caroline Ford back? <laughs> no. Which I like. I like yes, that type, I, I, I like I, that type I, I, of dig. I, yeah, it's great. Um, her other TV appearances include Emergency Ward 10, The Duchess of Duke Street, Legend of King Arthur, Bergerac, Casualty, Sherlock Holmes, and guess? Um, Taggart. No. No, Zed Z- Cars. Zed Cars, yeah. <laughs> well, you said guess, so... <laughs> <laughs> she would make a return to the Hooniverse, though through Big Finish, where she played some new characters, but she also reprised her role as Vicky. Interestingly, and this is something I didn't know, Maureen is actually a best-selling author, and she has written seven detective novels, all featuring the character of Detective Inspector John Bright. Oh. I did not know this. Might investigate it. I am delighted to say that Maureen is still with us at the time of this recording. Yay. Uh, I actually listened to one of her uh, big finish things. It was a series called The Companion Chronicles, where mm. previous, uh, be they actual traveling companions or story based companions, would recount an adventure they had with the doctor uh, or like their own separate adventures. And Vicky's one was, it was really, really good. Um, and I really wish like that it was the type of story that you could have seen played out in live action. Because um, she's got a great voice. And I, Vicky is a character that I actually love and as we go on through the stories people will get to see that more and more so definitely if you can check out her Big Finish stuff as well so thanks once again for the trivia notes on that one Trish Uh, so how about now we move on to the character discussion and we as always will start off with the Doctor so the doctor clearly is not over the departure of Susan in the story. No. Sleeping during his landing, it's unthinkable. <laughs> um, but also I get the sense that when he was in the TARDIS by himself and he was sort of you know, figuring out that he was on Dido and stuff like that, I kind of got the sense that he was talking to Susan. Mm. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Um, Sort of in the same way that he was as soon as they materialized, where he starts talking about all the different things that he goes to say, hey, Susan, why don't you open the door? Um, like I got sense that he was talking to her rather than what we'd see in later shows of him talking to the TARDIS itself or talking just to himself. Yeah. Um, like, I, yeah, I completely agree. Because like, this, this is a tale of or a game of two halves when it comes to the Doctor in that he is... I feel so sad for him because... Throughout the the entire undercurrent of the whole story is that he's lonely after Susan. He he greatly misses her, and he, I don't think he regrets his decision. But he's he is very he's sad 
and like he's just again we get to see him act his age and like in the sense of like he's a sad grandfather yeah. um on the other side though based on his fight with Bennett and stories to come as we'll see I get the impression that he feels like a weight has a weight has been lifted off him like a responsibility that like you know hence like the nap and actually getting into a one-on-one fight with someone that I think maybe he no longer feels like he has to worry about Susan worrying about him if that makes sense yeah I get where you're coming from I, I didn't pick up on it that way but I can see I can see where you would though for me, the way I saw his fight with Bennett was this is the precursor to the do I have the right you know, part of Tom Baker's speech mm. in Genesis. It's the precursor to the oncoming storm because he is so clearly angry and upset that anyone would do something to these people. You know, I think this is the first time we've seen him really be the defender of the universe yeah and he's not loud about it as well like it's like the quite fury yeah it's it's like the oncoming storm thing where like you're just looking at him and going shit yeah do not fuck with this man yeah absolutely um and the fact that he actually gets into a physical altercation which we've never seen him do before i think now that you've mentioned i think part of it is the fact that he doesn't have to worry about susan yeah but I think it's also he's already in kind of potentially like a negative mind space with Susan being gone. And then he's so happy that he's come to this planet that he knows and he knows the people and they're lovely and generous and kind. Yeah. And someone killed them, all of them, to cover their own mistake. It's very, um, what it kind of reminds me of, again, just a vague, vague memory, is uh, Serenity when they return back to Haven and they discover like that like the shepherd and all like the people on the settlement have been killed by the alliance yeah it's just like that kind of again cold fury and it's uh, again just a testament to Hartnell's acting is that you get the impression like that he is going to mess Bennett up big time yeah and like I said I, I love that we see that in this story I think, you know, one of the things that's been interesting to watch over the previous 10 stories is how the Doctor has grown and evolved from this, like, crotchety old man who didn't really want anyone travelling with them, who, you know, was a bit selfish and self-centred, and how he has grown to now. And, like, we kind of saw, like, I think we first saw it in Planet of Giants, where he was like, no, we can't allow this pesticide to be put in the market. It could destroy the planet. We see it in um, last week's episode, the Dalek invasion of Earth where he's like saying to Ian don't you want to know how this happened like don't you care yeah this, this is the first time like or like I think not sorry this is the planet started the trend of whereby it's not a case of we're like we, we have to get out of here to get the guys back home it was a case of no we have to stay and do the right thing yeah yeah vo- 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 I think this, voluntary choices as opposed to forces of hand yeah I think this is a big leap in that direction mm. for me anyway yeah the one thing I find hilariously funny though and I couldn't help but laugh was when he's talking to himself when Barbara and Ian are out exploring and he's doing his analysis <laughs> the fact that he's like I wonder if I could convince Ian that I did this on purpose <laughs> oh shit I was asleep he'd never believe me <laughs> uh, uh, I love that he's like you know I can still hear you <laughs> just, just this is a really I like seeing the funnier side of the doctor um because the cardinal does it so well in his little Yoda-like impishness. But, um, yeah. 
interestingly on on that whole like i can still hear you thing mm-hmm. When he's like listening to them when they're talking outside about how he's like still not really over Susan or whatever. Yeah. Um, in the original script for this story, mm-hmm. Ian and Barbara talked outside about how they were kind of afraid, or at least Ian was afraid that the doctor would do the same thing to them. Yeah. That he would just randomly leave them behind. And that's when the doctor chimes in saying, I can hear you and I would warn you. Yeah. If I was going to leave you behind. Yeah. You were going to say something else though. I love his interactions with Vicky. Because. I do too. What really kind of strikes me about this. And again we get to see later on. Is that this feels like more like a grandfather granddaughter relationship. Than his time with Susan. And I think I would have liked to have seen his earlier one on one travels with Susan. To see if if that same type of relationship was there. Yeah, so you and I have discussed this before yeah. um, in our own not-podcast conversations, which we do have. Yes. Um, and I agree with you, but I agree with you in the sense of growing up or even now, it's like you have like a second mom yeah. who treats you more like their kid than they treat their own kids like their kid. Yeah. Because they don't actually have responsibility <laughs> over you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know, like, you have... You know, oh, my, your, your best friend or, you know, a close friend might say to you, like, oh, my God, my mom likes you more than she likes me. Mm. Or my dad likes you more than he likes me. Yeah. But it's actually the fact that, A, you do get along very well with this person and you have a similar type of bond. Yes. So in this case, it would be a similar grandfatherly bond. Yeah. But at the end of the day, she's not actually his granddaughter. Yeah. So while he worries for her, it's not at the same level. So he can be a bit more chilled and relaxed about it. Mm. Yeah, no, again, like, as I said, we've had this discussion before, like, and it's always just nice to, to see their interactions in in whatever level it's portrayed as. Yeah, definitely. So how about we move on to the companions? And we'll start with our pre-existing companions. What do you have about Ian? I don't have a huge lot of for Ian in this story. Uh, and I think that's mainly down to the fact that this was about... This is a story I think that's about the Doctor and Vicky because it's introducing Vicky to us and it's also focusing on the Doctor because he is now, this is the first time we've seen him without Susan. So we're exploring two new characters and Ian and Barbara have been explored to such an extent that it's okay to give them the, the skip on this one, I think. No, I do have... Yeah, I, I'd agree with I you. do have stuff to say about Barbara, but with Ian, it's... Um, like you've got his normal, uh, his his normal charisma is on display, especially when it comes to Vicky's thing about. But that would make you five hundred fifty years old, and he kind of took it in good humor, whereas Barbara was a bit, hmm, well. Yeah, um, I completely agree with you. I think you know this story, similar to Edge of Destruction, hmm. which is the other two parter. Um, is a very character-driven story and the characters of focus aren't Ian and Barbara in this. No. It's the Doctor and Vicky. It's the Doctor, you know, coming to terms with Susan being gone and looking back on, you know, somewhere that he's visited before and realising that's not the same as when he left and obviously Vicky's development and introduction as a character. Yeah. Um, we do still get to see some of the old standards with Ian, you know. He still gets his, like, action man moment of swinging around the knives yeah. and stuff like that. Um. Ian, do not laugh at a woman's age. Have you learned nothing? 
in your entire life. Uh, and I'm going to say something and I may be wrong. Because okay. I may have written this on the wrong page of my notes. But is this story one of the few times that the doctor calls Ian, Ian? And not Chesterton? I'm not sure. Because he does call him Ian in the story. Because this, this is where I wrote this on this on a continuing page from last week's notes, so I may have gotten the stories mixed up. But I think he calls him Ian in this story, and we don't hear him actually call him Ian all that often. No, we don't. I I think I think you might be right. Yeah, because I because I, I'm pretty. The more I talk about it, I'm pretty sure it is this story. I'm gonna double check when we get off the call because I want to double check, but. I quite like the fact that Susan's gone, but he's not. But the Doctor hasn't closed himself off. No. And we see that in the way that he interacts with Ian and Barbara. I know we're kind of doubling back on the Doctor here for a second, but I like the fact that Ian gets called by his actual first name. Yeah. And that, again, we see the two of them pairing up, because I really liked that last week. And we get to see them pairing up again. Which is great. I really love to see the two of them paired off together. I think they actually work really well together. They do. And, you know, I want to see them grow and develop a bit more. Yeah. Uh, which I think we'll, like, we'll eventually get to... Not eventually. We get to see that more and more in the sense of it's... As you said last week, science bros. Science bros. Ho! Oh! <laughs> so you mentioned you had some notes about Barbara. I did. And I don't know why I said that that way. I did. Um, I think that Barbara is also feeling a small bit um, empty without Susan being there. And I have her killing of Sandy. I refer to it as ultra mama Barbara mode, whereby mm. I think like her protective instincts kicked in so much so that I'm actually kind of on the fence and to see whether she's justified in her killing of Sandy. Like in terms of, uh, okay, like, Obviously, we we know that Sandy was not um, dangerous or would have been dangerous to uh, Vicky. And you'd be kind of going like, oh, but, you know, you have to see it from Barbara's perspective. But at the same time, like, why couldn't Barbara have just, like, you know, fired into the air, just tried to scare it off? So I'm kind of on the fence in relation to that, that aspect of Barbara in the story. Yeah, I was... I remember the first time I watched this story, which as with most of the first Doctor stories from about 10 years ago. Mm. Um, I remember being similarly conflicted. The more I've thought about it, though, and watching it again the other day, I'm less conflicted about it. Okay. Both as an audience member and, you know, in the reality of the show. So, from an audience perspective, we know that although Vicky apparently trained Sandy to not eat people mm. and to come to her for food... We know based on the trap that was set that Sandy is carnivorous. Yes. and just to Because give, that was the whole point. And just to give people a bit of a frame of reference if you, in case you haven't seen the story, Sandy is like a crocodile but on dog legs. So yeah. that's what we're kind of talking about here. Yeah, but like the whole idea, like the whole trap that Ian got caught yeah. in. Yeah, oh, it's too... With, this, with the swords. The whole point, because like... That's not a massive drop, do you know? No. It's not that big. Um, so the whole point was to drop him into that pit with this creature, with Sandy, which presumably that would only have been built as a thing if Sandy was dangerous mm. and would have killed him. Yeah. Now, Barbara doesn't know this, 
but as an audience member i do yeah um within the context of within the show itself and what barbara is aware of yes i think her overprotectiveness went completely like straight to 11 yeah do you know Mm. Uh, mama barbara really really coming out strong Mm. in this story and i think a little bit of it and this isn't something that you could really explain away is although she's been traveling with the doctor now for a while we don't have an exact time frame but sandy is terrifying to look at as i said crocodile and dog legs that's terrible that's just terrible yeah. it is terrifying so she sees this thing coming towards this child because vicky looks to be a lot younger than well not a lot younger but she looks to be younger than susan i think canonically i think vicky's meant to be like 14 whereas susan was 16 so yeah. she's seeing this thing creeping up on this girl and she shoots it with a flare gun. Yeah. Now, could she have shot above it? Maybe. Would that have just startled the creature into lashing out? Possibly. Yeah. So I don't really hold it against her that much. Though I do think, I mean, Vicky was like, you know, I told you to stop. I told you it was fine. You know, Barbara, pay attention to what other people are saying to you. Yeah. But I don't actually hold it against her for doing it. Yeah. Um. I think it was an understandable reaction. Yeah, because again, it was just one of those things that because like, you and I have been in scenarios whereby, like we've actually we've uh, when we did like RPGs, you know, tabletop RPGs, we've we've come across scenarios in game where we've had stuff like this, and uh, like characters where it be either you or me or other people, we've had debates like this whether it's justifiable to do what was done. So that it kind of put me into that frame of mind, and I just thought it was like it was an interesting kind of thing to bring up just to see what your thoughts were on it were. Yeah, um, the other thing about Barbara again, her reaction to being told she's like five hundred and fifty oh, years old. I I, lo- I love as much as I love badass Barbara, sassy Barbara, just like that raised eyebrow and that face. It's just amazing. Yeah, it's kind of like I beg your pardon, and then Ian, of course, laughing his ass off. Yeah, and I love the way she just like nudges him in the ribs because that's another like adorable moment for them. Yeah, and it's just kind of like you know, obviously she isn't five hundred and fifty years old; she's in her early thirties. I'm going to say something to you there now, okay? Just because you said yeah. adorable moment, and we're going to, we're going to be talking about aspects of this going forward, especially in the Romans. Do you think that no, again, that Susan's left? They don't have not not that they I suppose they ever have to worry, but do you think that they can they're no longer Miss Wright and Miss Chesterton because that really Miss Wright and Miss Chesterton? Yeah, yeah, you heard what I was saying. You know, progressivism. Uh, <laughs> Miss Wright and Mr. Chesterton. Do you think that kind of thing has gone away in like the last remnants of their life as teachers? I don't think it has directly to do with Susan. Yeah. I think it's been a natural evolution up until now, and I actually noticed it. I didn't mention it for last week i don't know why um i actually noticed it in last week's episode when they all come out of the tardis in the dalek invasion of earth in the yeah. first episode and they're all stood on the bank of the thames they are kind of cuddled up to each other mm. do you know yeah. and i think it's just a natural evolution of their time because we have seen them be playful together like yeah. when in reign of terror when she asks him like oh what do you think of my outfit and stuff like that um i think it's just a natural thing yeah. It'd be interesting to see how, from that perspective, actually, I'm going to pop a pin in that for later. I think it'd be interesting to see from that perspective 
how they behave differently in front of Vicky. Yeah. Because Vicky never knew them as a teacher. Mm. Yeah. No, we'll make sure to kind of keep note of that now going forward. Yeah. I don't think it does in this story, but I get where you're coming from with it. And let's talk about the lady in question. Poor Vicky. Like, I know that she doesn't want people to feel sorry for her, but like genuinely, you can't help it. Mm. Um, the one thing I've written down here is that she has become so used to living in what is essentially a cell. Yeah. She's living in a prison that the idea of any change is, even for the better, is absolutely terrifying. And we see this a lot in, you know, movies about, you know, prisoners of war or like anyone in a sort of a captive environment. Hmm. But they become so used to their day-to-day actions and how they've been forced to learn to adapt that any change to that is very distressing. And it's not even captive. It's like people that, for some reason, the movie Nell just came into my head. Like, you know, where you grow up isolated yeah. and you come into, like, you, you, ex- you live in a certain existence. And then when that existence is kind of blown open to the wider world... Everything has changed. And whether it's beneficial or negative, everything is scary to you in one way, shape or form. Yeah. Nell is a great movie, by the way. If you haven't watched it, do. I love how she gets really close to the Doctor from the off. Yeah. Like, from the minute he walks in. Clearly finding the warmth that she was missing after her father's passing and that she wasn't getting from Bennett. I think it's a very symbiotic relationship in the sense of like that they're both, they're both filling a void in each other's lives at this point in time. Yeah, I think it. part of me thinks it's interesting that she immediately connects with the Doctor and not with Ian. Because while we've kind of joked that Ian and Barbara kind of take on a parental role with Susan, yeah, Ian doesn't behave in a fatherly manner. No, he doesn't. He really doesn't. He's like the cool uncle. Or the older brother that went to college and is now back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Whereas the Doctor has that parental, grandfatherly feel about him mm now thankfully all the time yeah so she immediately latched on to that because she was obviously missing it on the other side though we can tell straight away she's feisty she's independent she's not afraid to speak her mind looking at you barbara but she's still a child and like i said i think she's younger than susan was yeah i know like i completely agree with you i put her down like that she is like she is feisty and independent like she's like she knows how smart she is as well that's the big thing that uh, yeah. talk about like her education in the far future and like again I think it's great that they replaced someone of Susan's uh, caliber in terms of like, we know that Susan was incredibly intelligent and had a lot of skills whether they were shown or not it's great to see them replace someone just as much you know like with, with like, yeah. that they're not like um, a hanger on as such that they bring something to the table yeah there's two things, though, I've written down for Vicky. Two questions I have. Mm-hmm. One, what is so funny about the doctor's hair just because it's white? I get his clothes. She finds that a bit mm. weird. What's so funny about his hair? But I think she might just be a small bit uh, of a fashion police. But like she specifically points out the fact that his hair is white. Yeah. <laughs> Do people not age? In the future. In the future? <laughs> <laughs> Um, the other thing is, I'm aware that this is a sign of the times, I know, but Vicky, either wear a longer dress or put on a pair of leggings. Yeah, um, 
it, it's amazing that like you know like uh what was it the 22nd to 26th century they all have like very 60s style sensibilities when it comes to fem- female clothing <laughs> yeah but even with like a 60s style yeah. that mini skirt or that mini dress like yeah is very mini and it has slits on both sides yeah dude put on a pair of leggings <laughs> or wear a longer dress yes because this actually leads me into uh, I actually wouldn't have thought of that but it does kind of do a nice segue into some notes I have about Bennett slash Kukulian slash the biggest psycho of all time yeah let's talk about Bennett I'll let you do your bit first. Okay, so first of all, how like insane is this guy that his plan to cover up his guilt is to destroy an entire planet? Not 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 always he satisfied with killing every single witness to the, the crime. He just decides to I'll create an elaborate cover story by seeing the aliens did it, so we should wage war on this planet. That's maniacal. Uh, yeah. it, as I said, I, I put in my notes. That's real Bond Levin, Bond villain esque insanity. Yeah, even if the like when the doctor says that the Dido people are only about a hundred strong, mm. even still, that's actually even worse. Yeah, that he was going to wipe out an entire civilization. Oh yeah, like exactly. And the other thing that really strikes me about it, and I know that we've discussed this in the past when it comes to Barbara, and it affects Barbara in this story a bit, but definitely it really affects Vicky is that Bennett is very predatory towards the women in this story. Yes. Um, so, like, to kind of put people in the picture, I know that I said, like, though he advances on Barbara, but the way he does it, it's very leeringly, and it's kind of like you get the impression that he's grinning behind the mask. Uh, it's really weird, like, mental kind of torture type thing. Also, I do get the... I do have a firm belief that when they go back to Earth... Bennett would sort of pursue as potentially in his head his given right to have a relationship with Vicky because he is the person that helps save her in his head yeah there is I think there's a lot of emotional manipulation gone into Vicky there on Bennett's half yeah there's a lot of emotional manipulation there um emotional manipulation of a child yeah. I just like to reiterate yeah. this fact right you know she is a child and I don't think I definitely picked up on the kind of leering at Barbara stuff, which is funny because you can't see his eyes, but yeah. even just the way he holds his body yeah. and stuff. Um, I did pick up on that when I first watched this a number of years ago. I didn't really make the connection that you've made with Vicky when I first watched this a few years ago. Mm-hmm. However, and this this sucks to say, given the discussions that we've had, bearing in mind we're now on story number 11, given the discussions that we've already had around sexual predators in Doctor Who mm. I couldn't not see it when I was watching this the other day yeah I, I think I it, like if we hadn't like if we had decided to do like a podcast uh, we want the first people to do podcasts way back when when we first watched this story I don't think that we would be having this discussion now but I think no. when we go back to revisit it when you when you say it for one like I put it down here like that he, for me Bennett uh beats Vassar on the creep uh, scumbag factor phase you know uh, oh definitely and like the fact that we had first had the discussion then and then we discuss, like we talked about you know how we had it with Barbara in the cave of 500 eyes and then it actually became more prevalent with Vassar and then we had the jailer 
and Leon in Reign of Terror. And now here we are. Not only is that we never saw it against Susan, but we're now Thank God. yeah. But now we actually are seeing a component of it towards a a younger child as well. Like, and there's just like to today. Like I know that we've talked about the Daleks being, you know, like very um, the villains. You know, the scary villains are what. Like there's varying degrees of how the villains of the week have come across. But Bennett, I think, is the first out and out character that's actually disgusted me. Yeah, I I think, you know, to your point about Bennett versus Vassar, which is from the case of Marinus, for anyone who doesn't remember. Yes. The difference is, and this isn't by any means a justification of Vassar's behaviour. No. Barbara is an adult. Yes. Vicky is a child. And there is a very big difference between, oh... I think I'll get this woman to stay with me and sort of, you know, force her to be like my housewife type thing that you had with Vassar and emotionally manipulating a child. To be honest, by the end of the episode, I was half expecting there to be no rescue ship at all. Yeah. And for that to have just been another lie and that he was completely blindsiding her from the off because he wanted to keep her there. Because the thing that I don't understand is and again i wouldn't have thought of this if we hadn't been discussing it so much the thing that i didn't understand was he had no problem killing all the crew he had no problem killing all the people of dido why keep vicky alive yeah i get that he wants to use her to tell the story and he was using kakillian apparently to help reinforce that narrative but she's a loose end yeah and this is a guy he's thorough he's methodical why would you keep a loose end alive? And, and that is the only thing that comes to mind. Which is, she was easy pickings as well because she was in a fever, uh, fever state. Yeah, and like the thing, the whole idea of even creating the character of Coquillian, I mean, that facade was completely unnecessary. You know, Bennett could have gotten the exact same outcome of Vicky believing him and Vicky telling the story he wanted her to tell by being nice to her or you know just by talking to her in general the whole Coquillian thing is just pure evil he's an evil sadistic fucker and I'm so glad that like you know I kind of made the point that like I had an issue with Vassar's death in the case of Marinus Hmm. because I felt that in terms of the narrative and how they did it it was unnecessary yeah the fact that they wrote in that they had to go back to his house it I thought that was unnecessary. Mm. I have no qualms whatsoever about Bennett. I couldn't give a shit. Like, I've watched this story now, I'd say about maybe four or five times. And the f- this this being about my fifth time. And it's gas to think that in the first four times I've watched this, Bennett Coquillian is a Scooby-Doo villain. That's the way that's kind of portrayed. Like, I would have gotten it away yeah. too if it wasn't for you meddling old men and uh, two adults. Um, but it makes he makes the leap from... Sorry, he makes the leap from Scooby-Doo villain to, like, just Predator. Like, someone that's up there on the level of, like, I don't know, like, almost like Fritzel type thing, you know? And it it changes the, the content context of the story greatly, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of this is, you know, A, you and I are older now mm-hmm. than we were when we first watched this. We were in college. Yeah. The cultural landscape has changed. Yeah. In terms of acceptance of these types of storylines. Mm-hmm. But also 
we've never gone as deep into these stories as we have now. No, we haven't. Um, I suppose because all our other discussions have always always just been about the story and maybe like the the companions. We've we rarely discussed like the villains of the week type thing, unless they were yeah. really big, powerful, say like like Sutek or something like that. Mm. So you know, I, I like these conversations because uh, it it highlights how multifaceted the storytelling of old who was i think so that was a really interesting discussion about our characters and on a little bit of a downer yeah. in terms of the sexual connotations mm-hmm. but my question to you patty is what was your opinion on the story as a whole so as a whole i i love this story i think the fact that it's only two episodes is perfect length to introduce a new character to the crew and a a new ongoing character to the crew i think four would have been overkill so Mm -hmm. kudos to the writers for keeping it short and sweet i think it's the definition of short and sweet really (laughs) um great character development from the doctor and again not not at the expense of ian and barbara because they have been developed so much over the preceding 10 stories that their minute contributions to the story it's fine you're 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 not you're not missing them as such you know yeah. um i'm i like vicky like from, from if this is my first time watching it i'd like vicky knowing what vicky com- uh, how she interacts with the doctor later on vicky is one of my favorite companions probably somewhere in my top 10 region uh or maybe top 15 but definitely in the the bigger half bracket the villain who over like multiple watchings of this across the years has taken on a brand new uh face not just the mask but has like like, literally taken on (laughs) brand new characteristics and i think the story changes in tone but not in a negative way for me anyway so the confined setting the resolution everything about it for me this is a five out of five wow yeah and i i thought about it all right that you know it it takes a lot you know for stuff to get a five out of five but the story just really kind of it takes a lot of the boxes for stuff that i like to watch in terms of character development setting villain stories context across anything movies or tv shows and i know that like we've just had like a really harrowing discussion about like a very disgusting character and how he's the perception of him has changed but it doesn't take that doesn't take away from the story in my regards. I think it actually adds to it. It makes it a much more interesting discussion. Unfortunate topic, yes, but interesting nonetheless. So that's why I reckon it a five out of five. No, you didn't have to justify it. Well, oh yeah, it's yeah. kind of the point of this section yeah. of the podcast. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I completely get where you're coming from. This is a short one, um, and it's one of the ones where I actually would have liked to have seen it a bit longer. Not too long. I think you're right. I think four episodes would have been too long mm-hmm. but just the double play by bennett the sort of whodunit type thing i think if we'd had a third episode i don't think it would have taken anything away from it you know yeah the resolution is a little bit rushed when you only have two but you know still amazing but it was more case of like i wanted to see more you know it kept me coming back for more <laughs> yeah I think it was a great introduction to Vicky and like you said we get some nice development of the Doctor. Mm -hmm. In terms of introducing Vicky in a two-parter 
I think it was great. I think had we introduced her into in a four-parter, like maybe not change this story into a four-parter, but like say if you had a four-parter like the Aztecs or something like that, mm. where Vicky stayed on at the end. Yeah. I don't think we would have accepted her as easily because we wouldn't have gotten to know her as well. Mm-hmm. Shorter story meant better character development for her. Yes. So we accept her more readily. With some nice development on the Doctor, I discussed that already. You know, this to me is the beginning of the oncoming storm. You know, the Time Lord who will defend everybody. That's really, you know, for me, this is really what cements that as part of his personality. There's one thing that kind of dipped it a little bit for me. Okay. Which is, I'm of mixed feelings about replacing Susan and the cast so soon. That's I would have liked That's to have seen one or two stories of just the Doctor, Ian and Barbara. Because I think accepting another person into that group straight away. A, it was probably really jarring for kids watching it at the time. Hmm. But also, I would have liked to have seen how the three of them could have survived through an adventure on their own. Uh, I would I would say, yeah, at least one story. I think there is a Doctor Who novel that does take place between the two of them. Hmm. I need to look that up. Um, it's from the, I think it's the Missy Adventures series. There's been several series of Doctor Who novels over the years. And I think it's the Missy Adventures one does place a story in between the two of these. But for me, that was the only thing. So I took it from a five, which I get where yours came from. I gave it a 4.75. So not that much lower. Yeah. But just for me, I would have liked to have seen another story come before this. In order for me to accept Vicky a bit more readily. Yeah. And accept their acceptance a small bit more, I suppose, as well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. On the other hand, though, it's such a good story that I wanted it to go on for another episode. So, <laughs> for me, it's a great show. 4.75 out of 5. An actual three-parter as opposed to Planet of the Giants. <laughs> yeah. No, an actual, you know, a story told in three acts with each episode being one act, I think would have been, would have been really good. So, that's it for this week, guys. It is indeed. So join us next week when we'll be discussing a return to Earth's past in the Romans. And one thing I just realised that the previous story literally ended on a cliffhanger. They were on a cliff. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll find out the resolution in the Romans. <laughs> yes, we will. Okay, guys. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> Say goodbye to the people, Trish. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>